0: Hi, my name is Cassidy Cook, and welcome to my podcast. This is going to showcase my book, Farsighted. Every episode will be one chapter. I hope you enjoy. Date and time, April 1979, 927 AM. Location, the Dreamy Bean Cafe in Pitson, Pennsylvania. Ed, come on! He bent a fucking spoon with his mind! exclaims the general across the marble dining-room table, holding a yellowish-gold stir-spoon up to his face before dipping it into the small bowl of sugar and back into his coffee. He takes somewhat of a shallow breath and continues, "'Hey, look here, rookie!' He snarls with a mouth half-full of lemon scone and half-full of coffee." This is the door you spend your whole career pining for, my friend. This is the door at the end of the hallway. The one you open every other door in hopes that it somehow magically becomes this door. The one that you need a key card to walk through. The one with the tinted windows. The one that makes you want to tell everyone what's behind it but knowing you can't. Taking a knife and standing it up vertically... He lifts it and lightly stabs the napkin on the table, twisting it into the napkin, making a swirl of it as if he is lost in his own words. It's almost arousing, he continues. The temptation to let the world in on all our secrets, to have the notoriety of working on a project so otherworldly, almost supernatural, it's... It's a silent triumph, and I am not one to remain silent, says Ed, stupidly provoking the general. Sorry to burst your bubble there, sir, but we all know very well how difficult it is for you to stray away from office gossip. Is it called gossip if it's just between us, my good friend? The general is holding water in his eyes that Ed hadn't noticed until now, so he responds with all the tenderness that's appropriate to give to a gargantuan man in uniform who is about to cry into his Baileys-filled mug over a breakfast of low-fat lemon scones. No, sir, I suppose it's not called gossip if it's just between us, he says as he slides a smile up his right cheek and takes the first sip of his sugarless coffee. Ed then gulps and says excitedly, You know, it might do you good to accentuate the temptation, General. At least it keeps life interesting. Ed clears his throat and continues, although in a heavier tone now. And if it's just gossip between friends, I should tell you, I don't feel temptation, sir. In all confidence, I feel isolated. Boykin thoughtlessly scoffs at this comment, saying, Isolated? 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 How do you feel isolated when everyone in our life is constantly badgering us about our work? I mean, right? He shrugs his shoulders in an egotistical fashion, almost to suggest his mere words were proof that what he was saying was true. The whole world wonders what we're up to, bud. He leans forward with his chest nearly on the edge of the table and proceeds with wide eyes, making buggy eye contact with his accomplice. They are aching to get close to us in hopes that someday we might dish out a few of the juiciest of details. They crave the one thing that only we can give them, a peek into our reality. It's a beautiful thing, he says, leaving Ed dumbfounded. While the general seems quite pleased with himself and his own outlook, the faithful ally in Ed is doing his best to fight off a psychotic break. He can feel the emotions that were once at bay making their way to his eye sockets. It is difficult to figure whether it's the beads of burning sweat or the confusion that currently blinds him in any case. He strives to understand how reality is felt with such polarity for people who are experiencing the same thing. The thoughts right under his scalp are itching to be heard, and just before they spill out onto the table, the waitress comes to save the day by placing the check on the general's twisted napkin and asking if everything was to the boy's liking. All but the company, says Ed. The general, who is already standing, adjusting his belt and holster, looks down at him in disapproval. Without hesitation, a sly wink flies across Ed's right eye, successfully rectifying the tension. The two officers flicked down the payment due, plus a pocketful of change, for the scones and coffees before heading out the front door of the roadside cafe. Log Date and time. Unknown. Location. U.S. Army's Fort Meade in Maryland. We have an expert on the subject. I am delivering you both to him now. A bit of a rundown. His name is Dolan Doss. He was kidnapped 12 or so years ago by the Union around a decade ago though he struck a deal and has worked alongside them ever since the boy's got a charm to him i'll give him that who else have you heard of to successfully bargain with the soviet union ed and general boykin walking at pace behind the raunchy security officer look at each other with an underlying concoction of stress and determination he was somewhere else on the plane ride over there, man His eyes were fluttering like butterfly wings for nearly two hours straight. He did this twice. They're calling it EST or something like that, but the boy calls it RV. Not sure what either of those stand for, fellas. He slaps an inch-tall folder full of documentation into the left palm of the general. Good luck in there, gentlemen. Interrogation Room 12 I remember hearing laughing when one of them referred to me as a quote, hell of a cheap radar system. The room goes quiet. Dolan's side smile became victim to gravity and melted to its original resting place lower on his naturally sullen face. He looked around the room and realized the conversation ball was no longer in his figurative court due to that last comment. Pitiful empathy baiting. He thought to himself as he simultaneously clears his throat and shifts in his seat. Ed abruptly takes hold of the conversation. If I may interject, you don't seem too confident about your work, Mr. Doss. In one breath, you're dubbing yourself the world's leading mystic, and in the next, you're scoffing at others' desire to understand you. Tell me, Dolan, are you projecting or just highly traumatized? I guess I'm wondering if you are here to help us, or to gloat, because like the men from the union said, we have machines that could do your job with a lot less mouth. The room goes quiet. Mr. Doss, who doesn't budge and whose eyes remained locked on Ed's, begins to smile, then looks down and completely ignores the officer's threats. Twirling the bottom rim of an empty styrofoam cup on the table in front of him, he sighs somewhat obnoxiously and says, There is a small group who enter randomly, between nine and 13 of them. They're never doing the same tasks or looking for specific people or things. They ignore others and never interact purposefully or consciously. They attract a lot of attention from those around them. Since the few gifted ones simply don't know the others are watching, they tend to do things they would only save for solitude. Do you understand what I'm telling you? I am telling you that there are a select group of people who naturally have this ability. I think they're born with it. There are people out there who drift in and out and aren't even aware of it which is basically akin to falling in and out of a pool and being unaware of it happening, not once, but over and over again. He is somewhat rambling and notices his body language is getting more and more animated, so he looks down and calms himself before continuing at a slower pace. This is what I was doing over there, studying this group of people. And I know your machines, officer, hell, I even helped confirm they would display a realistic representation of the experience. However, what your technology promises is the inevitable weakening of your own mind. These devices thrust brain waves into your psyche, lessening your ability to control the shifting between alpha, beta, theta, and delta. He leans back in his chair and crosses his arms. Give it six to eight months of constant training using this method, and you will be incapable of doing your job, or any job for that matter. Speaking of, did you see the file with the number of comas that occurred during trial phases one through six? Ed leans forward to close the space between himself and Dolan. You sound like a desperate bitch. Well, General Boykin jolts as he stands up and slams his papers on the table in a breathy whoosh fashion to snap the harshness out of the air. Gentlemen, if that's not a sign we are in need of coffee, I don't know what is. Sir, excuse me, sir, but Mr. Doss is blatantly mocking our rank here. He is using our ignorance on the subject against us and playing us as fools. Why shouldn't he? He has no loyalty to us. Why should we trust what he says? Ed exclaims and finishes his rant by placing a hand on his hip and wiping the sweat off his brow with a handkerchief in the other. The room is quiet once again and Boykin furrows in his expression, leading Ed out of the room without saying a word. Before Ed could close the door behind him and turn around to face the General, Boykin was breathing down the back of his neck. He comes to a slow stop when his and Boykin's nose were practically touching, and the General whispers in a sharp slither, Do you know how important this program is for me? If I smell a whiff of rebellion off you, you'll be on that plane back home a little sooner than you thought and with a little less repute. He chomps his gum, takes a step back, and says, Don't ever cross me like that again. You will let him teach you. Before walking down the bluish-gray hallway, Ed's heart is beating abnormally hard. Hi, everyone. I just want to thank you for sticking with me until the very end of chapter one. Again, my name is Cassidy Cook, and until next time, stay nearsighted.